Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mangum Watches. I am Lee. I'm here. I'm joined by my co-host, Spencer. Spencer, how are you? Doing well, man. Good. And then we also have Levi. Levi, what's happening today? Not much, man. And then we also have, rounding out our foursome here, BJ, the brain trust at Mangum Talks. BJ, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. We are continuing in the vein of our previous installments of Mangum Watches. We are going through horror movies, and specifically, we have ventured into slasher movies. So we started with the first um chucky then we which i uh, child's play one and then we went to the first friday the 13th the first jason movie and now we are venturing into um i guess we could call it a real film uh the first halloween um <laughs> which uh i have a lot of um fond memories of watching and i have a lot of uh positive takes about but before we we get into that i uh, do want to uh, plug a few other podcasts we actually recently launched a new podcast called mangum talks which is basically just the four of us getting around talking about a shared experience if you like this podcast i'm about 100 sure you're gonna like that one so check it out we also have um uh, mangum reads which is like a digital book club within that we have pottering around and then also check out our tv show reviews we have nevers more we have the got questions podcast which is a review of game of thrones and then recently we have Spencer. I'm enjoying doing this one with you. The Ted Lasso review podcast, The Lasso Lowdown, which is a lot of fun. So check those podcasts out. But the issue at hand today, uh, very exciting, is to review Halloween. I'm interested in initial takes. Spencer, what did you think of Halloween one? It, it has been years since I've seen this film. I've seen the remake, uh, re- both the remake and I suppose the modern sequel a lot more recently than I ever watched this one. I was legitimately impressed. I wouldn't exactly call it scary, uh, but I think it's almost more like a psycho level kind of thriller in terms of feel. It's got some good craft. It's impressive what a quality director, writer, composer, John Carpenter can do with $300,000 budget. And yeah, I kind of get why this is one of those successful independent films of all time and why it started a franchise. Okay. Uh, BJ making a lot of faces over there. Uh, what What's your take? Uh, I mean, there, there were positive aspects to it, but it was kind of boring um that you know it just didn't didn't tickle my fancy kind of like uh it sounded like it did for spencer uh but you know it was fine it was sort of interesting seeing uh jamie lee curtis all you know back in the day um so so yeah was she 19 spencer i was i meant to look up how old she was when the film Uh, pretty sure she was 1920 era well it was 20 when she when she was released or when, when the movie was released um it may have been 19 when she was filming but um that did jump off the page as being like man people were old when they were young back then yeah she <laughs> looks older than that right yeah is yeah. it just because i'm used to seeing her older i don't know but she looks older than that to me. i wonder yeah. if like her co-stars were also a little bit older and so yeah. like you know it, it sort of looks like it lifted her up a bit in age I just uh, think, I just think cigarette smoke is pretty terrible for your skin. <laughs> <laughs> like I just think that's that. that's and the hurt or living. And she's got a perm that we've only seen on like old ladies. So I yeah, think that's part of it. Sure, that. sure, sure. Um, so but, BJ, you didn't find this to be scary. Like, what is wrong with you? Are you, are you dead inside? Because this is I'm hundred percent dead inside. Uh, but I I don't know. It, it's, it, not, it, it, it's not like like shock horror right it's not gonna like yeah you, know, you jump off the page make you jump and squeal right and, it, and it's not gonna be gory but there's like a, a constant tension being done from this pov camera of, of 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 the assailant um you know watching people like there's there's some scariness there i i agree that it's not like terribly you know horrifying that i was gonna you know hide myself under covers but it I, the tension was fantastic and so, yeah, you can call it like psycho but it, it's that's a scary movie that's yeah it, it, no, i agree like there was tension i'm just saying like as as a uh, a commitment to watching something for uh, you know 
hour and 45 or whatever it was, like, it just wasn't that interesting to me. That's what okay. I'm saying. Like, so you I know, have I a question for you, BJ. Have you ever found a movie scary? Uh, the pause, the pause. So, so maybe we can, we can just like throw that out as a, right. as a review for you. Cause you don't find anything scary per se, per se. but the, what you're saying is that like, it did, it wasn't engaging for you. Like you weren't like, uh, interested yeah, it wasn't well. particularly engaging. And, and like, I, I think that there will be movies that, that I will find somewhat scary, but this just, you know, wasn't one of them. The, the tension was interesting. Um, and the, uh, I'm, I'm going to just throw it out there. Show tits get hit kind of uh genre <laughs> defining movie is, is definitely there so it, it um, practically created that genre yeah I'm, bj mm. i i find this really interesting because like this is so i i in general i hear you um a lot of movies in the 70s um and before there the, the pace is so slow that it's hard to really get into it right it's really hard to, hard to focus and sort of feel the experience but this uh, for this one for me was different it, it was there were some slow moments, but again, you know, they didn't have AD, ADHD back then. Uh, that wasn't sure. discovered until the 80s. Um, and so they didn't have to, to pander to it. But it sounds like, Spencer, you were, um, uh, your attention was kept and, and you enjoyed it. Impressively and, so, yes. And Terry, you as well? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would say that this is like, um, I mean, my thought of it is it's sort of like a natural, like evolution of of Hitchcock mm-hmm. and it's um, in, in the evolution part is um, it's faster than Hitchcock. Like we, it's interesting that we're talking about the pacing because I felt like the pacing is more like a modern pacing um, when you compare it to like some of the older um, like comparable movies that maybe like Hitchcock did or stuff, stuff that came out maybe a little bit before it, or even some stuff later. Right. Because like we talked about um, Friday the 13th mm-hmm. and um, I, I, I didn't feel this way, but you guys talked about how like nothing was happening. And I, I don't think that that's maybe a fair criticism of this film. I mean, things are happening. It might not be the pace you want, but I mean, a lot of stuff happens. Like even just like, I, I noticed just reading the plot is a small point, but like if you read like the Wikipedia of the plot of the other two slasher movies we did, Child's Play 1 or Friday the 13th one. Yeah, it's like two paragraphs. You read this yeah. plot, it's like a page and a half because a lot of just more stuff happens. Right, but I it, guess it, it's more for me. It's, it's less about like the action that happens and more like, the story that it's set in it is like they're they're sort of babysitting some kids and trying to figure out like how they're gonna you know hook up with their boyfriends or and or you know if they're going to the dance so and have y'all seen these like twitter accounts where it's like you take something interesting and you describe it as dull as you possibly can Like that's kind of what you do. Like, those well, there's some babysitting and some killing happens, and then it's like the Halloween's over. Yeah, it, it takes place on a holiday, and you know they make pumpkins. <laughs> no, I mean I, I fully understand where BJ is coming from. It's I almost <laughs> forgot how conservative this film is in terms of what in terms of what it does and what it shows. It's not gory at all. It's like aggressively non-gory. I was impressed with. It doesn't have a lot of the, a lot of the common slash or violence that you usually see. A lot of it is very much. Hitchcock or even Exorcist kind of shots of where it's just a shot properly filmed with impressive lightning that's just foreboding. It's just a person walking in silence. It's that wonderful little piano and synth music that runs throughout all of this that builds the tension. It's not, it, it, not much is literally happening. It is very much meant to be the classic ghost stories, the classic urban legends. There's straight up when, you know, our main character, Jamie Lee Curtis is walking through the house and finds her three friends dead. That is just a haunted house. 
she is wandering through a haunted house. All of these are meant to be very iconic, very basic. They're just filmed with such craft and pacing that they become remarkably impressive. It's just like a lot of the same notes were being attempted to be hit in particularly Friday the 13th, but they were just done a lot more ineptly. This is those hallmarks of a slasher film done by somebody who understands the craft and process of making a film. And it becomes a lot more impressive as a result, even if the actual bullet points are just kind of, you know, there. Uh, I don't know. I think a lot happens in this film. And I think it also sets up a lore that's very, very interesting. By the time we get to like, it's uh, dusk on Halloween night, like on the street, like I'm, I'm like completely locked in because we have this backstory of like this murder happened. This guy's escaped. Like, we know, he's on the run. He's, you know, the, the gravestone's missing. Like there's a lot of like stuff that, that, that precedes the action that happens um, go ahead, Spencer. Yeah, you have a point. No, I, I was actually just going to say, we're, we're getting into the plot. I would say, honestly, the weakest part of this film for me is the first six, seven minutes of when it, it's incredibly iconic. When we have the, the killer perspective done, done wonderfully, the donning the mask, the murdering the babysitter. But for me, though it sets the lore, that part I was rolling my eyes in. of like the initial part of where the, what is he, 13 or something, eight-year-old? How, how old is very, Mike Carson? He's very young. young. Yeah. First yeah. Definitely a young kid wearing a clown costume. That 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 was very hokey to me that I was kind of worried the film was going to be in that tone and I just remembered it wrong. And then once that scene ends and we didn't go into Donald Pleasance as Dr. Loomis going into the insane asylum, from that point on, I was engaged and the tension never really stopped. Well, this is why making these films are so hard, right? Because if they ditch that, we'd be sitting here talking about, well, you know, that just hits us with cold water with this weird, you know, uh, street that doesn't mean anything. Like, I mean, it, it's tough because you you have to set something up, but uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I maybe it wasn't done as well as it could have been. I, I don't know. I found the the moment where they drive up in the car and the woman's like, are they supposed to be roaming around? And it's like, that was wonderfully done. That was pretty like creepy that. to me. I'm going to say the, the sort of meandering batch of crazy people or retards like that is just like a funny but scary also like situation right you've got this insane asylum of people who are probably been electroshock therapied into to, to retardation um just mo like roaming around like like you know lost souls uh that was that was scary as fuck yeah it was no, scary. I, I love that opening scene of where it's uh doctor i think dr loomis is the name of the Psychiatrist, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, played by Donald Pleasance, wonderful actor in a lot of great films. I'm legitimately surprised they got him into this, but apparently yeah, his daughter sure. loved Assault on Precinct 13, another film by Carpenter, and so he agreed to do it. Ooh, nice uh, backstory. I'm here for you. Uh, but the two of them driving up when it's pitch black outside the car and they're just chatting, we're just getting little details and we're seeing how confused the nurse is and how very uncomfortable and odd edge the doctor is. And then arriving and we just have the high beams just hit the stark white of the uh, of the um, smocks that the, that the patients are wearing yeah. and the doc the doctor's horror they're not supposed to be out he doesn't know what's happening this is weird and then the probably most effective I think in my mind jump scares of the film of that patient running up the back of the car and then going in on the nurse all that was a wonderfully done scene that was really tense and really scary and then just him hijacking the car and driving off into the night while the doctor just looks on horrified that was a very effective opening for me in a way that the first part wasn't, though I agree, you needed to set the root. You needed to set the seed for whatever, for all of the further movement of the film. I just thought it was kind of ham-handed. Yeah, and I, you know, typically movies that were made a long time ago, the dialogue is often tough because people talk differently and then also the expectation in film is different with regard to how they they, they screenwrite, right? So 
it, it doesn't sound as natural as maybe some some movies that we have now, like it, as far as the dialogue. But I do did really appreciate the dialogue between the psychiatrist and the nurses. They were driving the car because there was this tension where this nurse was like, "You mean he should never get out? I mean, he's he's only he was only a boy when this happened. She was obviously like somewhat." um you know hard uh, man yeah exactly but the psychiatrist had this hard line which was actually kind of creepy like no he's evil incarnate he does not get out that's a terrible idea um and that tension was was interesting to me yeah the best dialogue in the film for me it's it's, it's a very sparse film when it comes to dialogues mostly just teens chatting but when dr lemus donald pleasance is just describing his abject horror at Mike Myers, they're like, I tried to talk to him for years, it didn't work. And then I've spent the rest of my career making sure he never gets out again. Those are really tense scenes. They're acted well. And there's some well written dialogue of just, this is a medical professional who's dedicated his life to helping people. And he is an abject horror at what this guy could do. And he describes a crazy person pretty well, right? Because he's like, I-, I watched him, he was just staring straight ahead, looking right through the wall. He didn't even see the wall. Like, you know, like that, that sort of like, there was nothing home when I was looking in his eyes. That was pretty Pretty, pretty interesting dialogue. Oh, I was reading a bit about the background too. Apparently a lot of that was written from John Carpenter's own experience of where he'd gone to an asylum for the criminally insane and he'd gotten to see the intensely sedated wow. or intensely psychotic patients. And that kind of just blank eyed malevolence was something that really stuck with him for years afterwards. And so he wrote a lot of that dialogue from his own just fear at confronting those kind of individuals. This is what I want out of my creators. Like that sort of like crazy, crazy bit where he's like, well, I'm going to write up like a it's crazy movie, like about, you know, a mental patient time to go to a psych ward. Like, yeah. All right. You got to get that real lived in experience to bring to the script. Do your primary research. And that's ultimately what makes great cinema. Right. Because it, it, that is a detail that I, I also like when I, when I saw it, which I, by the way, hadn't seen, seen Halloween before. Um, I thought maybe I'd watched it at some point. Um, but in going through the scenes, I was like, I have no earthly idea what's going on here. I, I clearly haven't ever seen this movie. Obviously, I, I know the theme and I know Mike Myers um, from pop culture. Um, but yeah, that 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 little tidbit of the person just staring at a wall day after day after day after day. And it's like, that's horrifying. That's just like scary. Yeah. Like, What the hell is going on in that head? Um, yeah. Do we want to talk a little bit about the plot? Yeah. Um, maybe that'll help guide the conversation. So we, we, um, we have the opening scene where um, it's basically what we're getting is kind of a flashback of the young kid, Michael Myers. We're getting, we're getting it from his first person. And so this is, a, this is a point on what we, we see first person in this film a few oh, times. Yeah. And I, I just wanted to throw it out for the group. I mean, you, I mean, just from what, you know, do we know of a movie that did the first person from the, like the scary guy, the villain, the boogeyman, whatever, perspective before because i know that's been done after i just am wondering how we did it first hitchcock psycho okay that's a clear source of influence for a lot in this film so psycho did go first person Mm -hmm. the the famous shower scene for example yeah okay oh yeah because he pulls you're you're 100 Mm -hmm. right pulls the the shower curtain back yeah that's a great call carpenter makes no bones about the fact that he borrowed a lot of drew a lot of influence from hitchcock when he wrote this and i think it shows but this is one of the films that just aggressively does that was one scene we get a couple other moments this i mean i feel like it's the main villain perspective the chef knife, like as the the weapon of choice. I mean, there are a lot of things that pay homage to uh, Psycho in, in interesting ways. I think. Sure, and even just the twist, the twisted family roots that go into the motivation of the killer. And the the music is kind of similar. Like it's it's reminiscent. So yeah, there's a lot there's a lot of callbacks and homages to Psycho. So we have the the kids are upstairs. They're clearly hooking up. The boy leaves. 
um, the first person shot that we have, which is from the young boy, grabs the knife, goes upstairs, stabs a babysitter. That's the the stabbing part. I'm guessing Spencer is kind of the hokey part that I thought you you maybe weren't sold. It's part of it, and also a lot of the teens acting in this is kind of rough, particularly when they're getting. I hate to say you kind of sucked at getting murdered, but a lot of the teen death scenes are pretty rough. Oh um, gosh, Michael, please don't. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's it, not... it, it, so th- th- this one in particular was bad. Some of the other ones, like they were not, they weren't great. But at least they were then set up in the proper tension of the scene. And Mike Myers in his full element. This one is it's just an eight year old killing his babysitter, and her acting doesn't really sell the scene that great. Okay. Anything else on that opening scene before we move on? Well, one thing I will say that was good about the opening scene was the reveal about who the killer was, and just the silent pan out with the parents. Uh, at the end mm-hmm. there of where he wanders out the he wanders up to the car we're still not really sure what's happening you can kind of put two and two together with it's michael i think the baby student says it's michael um yeah she says michael stop yeah but when it's then revealed that it's very much almost seemingly the moment you can write up is just a confused or removed child with his parents just in baffled as to what the hell they just walked up on and there's the pan up into the sky that was pretty effective filmmaking i thought also, the mask removal was sort of like an interesting interaction because like it's not a it just felt weird to me, like off, like in a good way. It, it, yeah, it was weird. It was off. It was almost almost like a symbolic thing. Of, they've just suddenly revealed their child and they've yeah. suddenly realized what their child yeah. is and they don't know how to process it. I love the through line of the mask and the knife. Like, I mean, you've seen like, you know, guys got a calling card. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, then we got to the I guess the, the psychiatrist and the nurse oh. driving. One minor detail. Do you know what actor the mask is based on? No, Ronald Reagan. I was I was reading Wikipedia and came across this, Spencer. But go ahead. It's, it's William Shatner from uh, from uh, Captain Kirk from Star Trek. It's a mask that's, that's built built on him and mo- modeled a little bit, but it's his face. Oh, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, good and nugget. As best I can tell, it wasn't because of any particular like fascination with it. It, it, it was extremely inexpensive at a, a, a shop in Hollywood, right? So <laughs> they, they had a very low budget, so they said, "What can we get a lot of?" Um, and we can mock up and, and use this was filmed for three hundred thousand bucks i'm legitimately impressed by that how quality this thing looks and is filmed i wonder mm-hmm. what the what the um like what that would be in modern dollars probably up close to a million something like that maybe um yeah then we have the scene that we, we already talked about right with the psychiatrist and the nurse they're driving um i think the pretense here is that they're going to maybe pick up michael to take him to court and um or they're at some point he's going to court and then they the one one thing i liked is that the doctor was like we're going to give what i don't know what the drug is thorazine something like that we're going to give him that and the nurse is like well he's that he's going to be catatonic and the psychiatrist is like yeah that's exactly what we want we don't want this kid uh anything other than catatonic yeah i think it's a i think it's a fair implication that he was found not guilty by reason of you know insanity um and but a lot, what a lot of films actually leave out and I appreciate they do is that that's like an ongoing diagnosis that's frequently reviewed. If at any point you become, you know, sane again, uh, they can either let you go or then actually try you for the crime kind of thing, depending on what level, what moment of insanity they have fa- they found you at. So this is apparently part of that regular court proceeding of where he needs to be evaluated. Yeah. And they, the, the psychiatrist is making no pretense about his feelings about Michael here. Uh, then we have that creepy shot. They show up. The nurse is like, are they supposed to be roaming around? And there's just all these like people sort of like wandering around, um, obviously mental patients in their gowns. Uh, is it raining? I think it's at least very, very dark. I think it might yeah. be raining. It's a dark and stormy night. Yeah. The psychiatrist runs up, try to figure out what's going on. One of the patients, which we, I guess we learned is Michael, um, 
comes up on the car, uh, starts trying to drag the nurse out of the car, uh, eventually does and gets the car whoop, and takes off. Yeah. So yeah, it's Spencer. Yeah, things I would do in that circumstance that the nurse, things I would not do that the nurse did. The fact that she rolls down her window when there's mental yeah. patients roaming the around, it's like, yeah, <laughs> what are you doing? I understand you have a much more sympathetic view of, 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 of you know, the, uh, the mentally ill than the, than the doctor clearly does. But dear God, woman, you don't know what the situation is. Lock the doors and roll your windows. Don't get yeah. out of the car. Randomly. Drive away. Yeah. I mean, just, I mean if, just leave. if you're that scared, just leave. Yeah, the, um, the, the doctor made his decision. He's gone now. It has a written off variable. Get the hell out. Um, so Minimum, I'm locking the doors. I think this was the first scene where um, the cinematography to prevent Mike Myers' face being in frame started to like become apparent and it get like it gets further and further clear that that's what they're doing but this was like the first time well right but this was like the first time where like it took me a little bit but i was just like oh okay like i see see that they're doing this and that's kind of a cool thing uh it was a little hokey in certain scenes where like they had to clearly play with the angle and like exactly how he was doing things to maintain that but I think they worked really well in this scene. Okay. Um, uh, I'm going to kind of like do broad strokes, I guess, from here on out. Yeah, sure. uh, it, could, it could get a little tedious. <laughs> we're we're in the, the slasher part. phase. Yeah. And so basically the setup here is that um, now we have Halloween night. We have the house that the original murder occurred in. I think that's been, that house has been shuttered up. Um, mm-hmm. But you have a couple other houses on the street. And we have some main protagonists or main characters here. They are um, aptly, man, just generic white girl names, Lori, Linda, Annie. And um, we, we see them at school. They're chatting. They're talking about some dance or maybe that's, that's occurring the next day or something. But Halloween night, two of them, and I believe it's uh, Lori and Annie are both babysitting. And they're babysitting in houses that are across the street from each other. And um, yeah, that, that's kind of where we set up. that we, it, it becomes night, Halloween night. They're both babysitting across the street from each other. There's a, I think this is maybe if you want to do some criticism of the film where it get, maybe gets a little slow about what's going on that night. There's a lot of interaction with the kids that I think could, could have possibly been cut about like, well, what are we going to do next? Are we going to pop popcorn or watch a movie or carb pumpkin? Let, let me tell you about slow. the comics under the couch. Starts. Oh no, that, are you kidding me? That, that was actually funny. Like, cause it was like <laughs> Batman, Ant-Man, Blah, blah 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 man blah 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 man i thought they were like making fun of comics there. That, yeah absolutely were. word it, yeah it, it, it wasn't batman right because batman it was random noun man yeah 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 now, now, um one of the things that helped me for these scenes that i agree it's it's a lot of setup it's a lot of build-up is that the omnipresence of mike myers throughout almost all of them is that i enjoy it's almost like it's a cultural commentary that mike myers doesn't really feel the need to hide He's just out. He's driving a car. He's following them. He's in the street, just looking at them behind bushes and then mildly ducking behind them. seems like it's a recurring issue in this, but the world seems just kind of vaguely indifferent that there's a slasher in their midst. Even there's the no stranger when, danger, Spencer. Let's well, even to the point when people beg for help at the end, they <laughs> knock on doors and ladies just close their blinds and turn off yeah, their lights. Yeah, Hell not yeah. my problem. <laughs> well, um, yeah. So there's not like a big like neighborhood watch, right? Because the, the citizens <laughs> yeah. don't come out to protect. And also the, I mean, very poor representation of the police force. There's just like one inept guy, a dude, and yeah. that's like it. Uh, um, is it Lori's 
parent or anything like i don't remember it's one of the girls dad that's the it's it's the one that gets it's the dark-haired one that gets murdered that's um that's annie annie i think it's annie's dad and he's the one that's like a little bit of popcorn uh butter on my shirt whoop shirt's gotta go yeah, there's a lot of a lot of weird things going on here, right? I mean, like to answer the question to the girls, yes, the dad knew you were smoking pot in the car. Um, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. obvious, but that is hilarious. To, I mean, we've all grown up in, in situations where we did something that we thought we were being super super suave about and hiding, um, and, and and never did. Um, in retrospect, also but, casual like drinking, like while just like being down the road, and the problem is the smoking of the pot. Like, just I don't know. Um, I will say the 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 quickness she had in terms of, of treating that stain. I mean, it's really impressive. It, like yeah. it, <laughs> she gets a little popcorn butter. Poo, it just graced off. her shirt a little bit and she just had oh, clothes, clothes right off. Um, yep. It was really, really weird. Also, um, do you guys commonly just like hang your dress shirts in the kitchen? Do you put that on like a coat rack in the kitchen and just That's let it hang there? Um, yes. seemed Not a little, so much. No, seemed a little odd. Um, I- I also don't normally have a house where the laundry room is a separate building you have to walk to, but yeah, yeah. So that was interesting. Very, very uh, thing. They they exist, but I I, yeah. I I will say so. I liked those small moments. I like all that sort of like just just mm-hmm. dull dull and, and, and dull behavior and, and, and drudgery that happens in when you're a kid, right? Nothing's going on, um, but this this looming threat is out there. Um, is a nice juxtaposition for me. I mean, it, it felt authentic for what a 16 or 17 year old in 1978 probably would be experiencing. Just, I think uh, that's a great point. And I think Spencer made a great point that they, the, the connection there with those scenes to the greater narrative is that you get the occasional, like, Ooh, somebody's out in the bushes. Ooh, somebody's outside. Oh, they're across the street or whatever. Yeah. And his silent imposing masked figure, who's basically just wearing coveralls of a guy he just murdered on his way out of the insane asylum. It's yeah, not he did kill a mechanic and took coveralls. Yeah. It's very basic, but it's somehow very intimidating, particularly Again, the sound, the, the sound and music in this is wonderful. Apparently, I was reading about this. This was originally shown to studios without any music. It was just shown completely just the scenes. And they all went, well, that's not scary. That's not intimidating. Then Carpenter went and just composed all the music himself and then came back and they went, well, we'll pay you anything for this. It's like what? Three <laughs> notes? It, it's a it's very simple. Three notes, something like that. It's, it's it, very simple. It's a very simple piano motif, and there's a lot of synth music, which is fun given that we actually get to see Forbidden Planet uh, playing on the screen at one point, which is like the origin of you know synth music in Hollywood as well. So a bit, bit of influence drawn there. But a lot of these scenes, the, the music, the sound design, and just the silent standing forebodingness of Mike Myers sell background notes of what otherwise is just a teen drama that's building up in a direction of Halloween. So I don't think this is the first time that this happened in film, right? But I think that this was maybe one of the better ways it's ever been done. And that's the thing of scene is happening. You see killer, bad guy, insert whatever, in in the background, sort of out of focus. And then the scene will shift and and said person is gone. So it's just like, because mm-hmm. you see that a, a whole lot in horror movies. And um, oftentimes you're wondering, because uh, sometimes you're getting it from the perspective of a person, you don't know if they like missaw something or if they're seeing things or hallucinating or whatever. But that kind of like um, that that uh, that filmmaking where you see that the thing in the back, um, and then sometimes the music shifts too, right? Because when you see the, the bad person, the music will either cut or the music will start up louder, and it's kind of a shock to your system. One of my favorite moments that is actually in these moments when it's just the teens walk, talking about their babysitting jobs and walking about is when they see a car that uh, somebody yeah. that they vaguely recognize. And 
one of the girls just yells out and insults him. And as she's doing that, we're getting the little soft piano motif that happens throughout the film. And the moment she insults him in the break stop, it immediately shifts and becomes discordant. Mm-hmm. The, to- the, the tone and the sound of it become much sharper, much more warped kind of thing. And I, I was, I was again a nice touch is there. Suddenly the teens are like, uh, this suddenly became a different story than what I thought it was. And then the cards drives away and the music returns to normal. Well, Annie, uh, who is babysitting, I believe a little girl, wants to see her boyfriend Lindsay, uh, they, I think her name is. at this point she's already um just wearing like one big like male overshirt like a dress shirt like that just goes down to her knees because <laughs> she got a little bit of butter and she uh had to put her other clothes in the washer i, I appreciate her just getting fully naked in the kitchen of somebody else's house just <laughs> just she, you yeah. heard it here spencer really appreciated that scene yeah it, it, it was just like, okay, that's a thing that's happening now. And now mostly naked, wearing a dress shirt, vaguely on, she's walking, de- she's walking yeah, across she's the open go- yard. Yeah, so and she she's did. like yelling for like, get me a robe. And then it was just like, all right, screw it. I'm just not going to deal with that. It's fine. Um, the important part to the plot is that she's taking the kid over to where Jamie Lee Curtis is, is babysitting to look after that, that kid so that she can go get her boyfriend. So now we have the setup where Jamie Lee Curtis is there with two children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, in that house. Um, and also important that uh, apparently the weather in middle of nowhere, Illinois, in late October is really nice um, for wandering around in just <laughs> underwear and a, a, a shirt. Let's talk about personal lived-in experiences there. BJ, how would you actually assess the weather of, of Illinois in the middle in the, at the end of October? Impressively variable, but usually a little chilly. Cold ass. Haddonfield is that where they're at? Haddon something. It, it is very generic American suburbia. It's, it, it is pointedly, this is Pleasantville kind of thing. Let's warp it. Yeah. So the girl, Annie, gets in the car. She's going to um, go get her boyfriend and Mike Myers in the backseat. One hand strangles her. It appeared to me that he killed her with one hand. Is that is that everybody yeah. else's read? Well, it, it seemed, did, did he stab her at one point? Because it looked oh. like he brought another hand over at some point or I th- another. I thought he eventually, <clears throat> he like her. once he, yeah. Uh, choked her out, like cut cut her with the knife. I, I don't believe so because when we see her at the very end, when she's laid out um, on the bed, she doesn't have any any blood on her body anywhere. Um, I thought it was just a choke out, one handed choke out. It, it looked like he did some extra extra blow, but it's not really clear. One thing that's apparent though is that this guy likes to savor it. Mm-hmm. This is not a guy that necessarily wants to just kill quickly and be done. He wants to hear their pain and the little grunting moany noises that he makes throughout all of his murders are legitimately uncomfortable for me the increasingly heavy breathing that he engages in it's like oh you're getting something out of this gotcha well yeah so a couple things i want to talk about here one is yes the breathing we get you know his from the first person of mike myers his breathing you you use the right word, Spencer, increasingly, because you get to you get more of that as you go. And I think it's a setup for the end where oh, yeah. you know, obviously you have the the shots everywhere where he could be anywhere and you're hearing the breathing over. It's supposed to be like a kind of final fright thing. But the reason I'm pointing out the one arm thing is uh so with Annie, it's one arm, boom, stands no chance, just choked out. That's it. Lori, Lori can full on wrestle Michael Myers and get away from him. <laughs> So if you're talking about who's the, who's the tougher friend here, Lori obviously is. And that's a, that's a theme they play on in the 2019 version of Halloween, which basically scraps every, it, it, it did the thing I'm hoping Star Wars does. It scrapped every single sequel and basically became like Halloween number two. 
from 2019 and it's basically Jamie Lee Curtis kicking Michael Myers ass for about two hours. It is a, it is absolutely cathartic for, for all the women who've been watching these slasher movies and watch women just get fucking murdered. Uh, Cause Jamie Lee Curtis does kick his ass. I was going to say, cause it, this murder also calls back to the original uh, assault of the nurse. He, he really does go for that. Like one handed. Uh, mm, yeah. yeah. That's a good call. BJ. Yeah, for sure. Um, I would I, I, I just say this film has a, both an A and a B plot. This is very much the A plot. The B plot is basically the uh, psychiatrist and the sheriff yeah. vaguely trying to hunt Mike Myers and ponder what he's going to do. But let's not tell anybody about it because that would be a problem for a reason. It would, so, when it would make a panic. That's I mean that's fair, right? He 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 wanted to alert all all, all the deputies, right? I mean all the the law enforcement people to stay on, stay on alert, but mm-hmm. don't doesn't want to call it in when people are dressing up and acting weird during Halloween. That seems like a pretty fair fair move. Now they are um, the definition of incompetent police. Like they're just like <laughs> they're, they're leering over a bush by the house and like I'm gonna I'm gonna catch you if you happen to come from the opposite way and you don't pass me. Um, 50, 50 shot. Um, so there, I will admit that I watched this and I was doing something else at the same time. So tell me if I got this detail wrong. But at one point, it seemed to me that the psychiatrist hiding in the bush just casually scares the shit out of a little kid. He's uh, trying to get them away from the house. Yes. yes. He <laughs> fakes a voice, yells out something like, I'm going to get you. And the kids run away because, Levi, like you said, the sheriff's the sheriff and his deputies are doing shit. They are just kind of vaguely paying lip service to what they think is this kind of crazy doctor. They went through the house once. We are told the sheriff and his deputies are out and about, but most of what we see, it's just the psychiatrist hiding in the bush in front of the one house he knows the guy might go to because nobody else is on duty to try to actually stop this. So we have the murder of Annie, and then we have the murder of Linda and her boyfriend later in the film. Most generic name ever, Bob. Bob and Linda. Um, do you, are murdered do you mean the the two people that come over to hang out with the girl who went off to go to her boyfriend and they just start to have sex yes. uh, while 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 pounding beers in uh, some adult's bed? Um, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, Levi, and then and then light up a cigarette because it's the seventies and that's how you know they enjoyed it. Well, also, Levi, we had some character development there. We established earlier <laughs> that Linda doesn't bring her textbooks home, so she is the bad child of the group. I, I'm also. <laughs> Um, by the way, this whole movie, I, I know I'm, I'm sort of ripe for believing in cat class conflict, but, um, Gen Xers are pieces of shit. They're all incompetent. Like why, why do they have to listen to anything they say? Um, like this is ridiculous. Everyone here is, is, is so lackadaisical about everything, uh, other than Jamie Lee Curtis, who's, who's, who's a paragon of virtue and, uh, studiousness and, uh, strength and, as well. And self-defense killings. Yeah. yeah. She's, she's not great about like like finalizing things she's not she, like she, double she's not, tap double she, tap. she, she, no she she's really situations. good about finding things to to stab mike myers with and then dropping them immediately as soon as it seems like he might be hurt slightly in fairness at least two of them should have killed the bastard well Shooter. yeah but the eye poke with the hanger and then drop that uh, yeah, was a but, bit of an odd move sure. um yeah. yeah, I'm going to stick up for Jamie Lee Curtis here. She is just a regular teenage girl who ha- happens to fight this guy pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, the, uh, the, the juxtaposition between her effort with Mike and the <laughs> other two is just so huge. It's ridiculous that she stands a chance considering what we saw him do to the other two girls. Yeah, I mean... I mean, with respect to the Bob, it's it's their names are literally Bob and Linda, right? Yeah, the, yeah, absolutely. 
<laughs> most <laughs> white people, m- most white people names of that era ever. in Haddonfield, Illinois. That's oh right. yeah, not a black person to be seen. Uh, Mike again. Mike Myers again takes his time setting up the kills when it comes to them. He's in the house the entire time, but he makes the effort to keep going outside again just so he can freak them out a little bit. He's uh, doing yeah. the work. Wearing the sheet, looming over uh, the woman before he kills <laughs> that her. Was, like, he, that was he's goofy. a poet, man. He's a poet funny. of death. Like he really is. He has he has some whimsy to him. With the I really glasses on top. <laughs> I also the glasses, the glasses on top was. This pretty is funny. a man who appreciates the art. I also thought like so the amount that it's obvious that Lori gets fucked with by her friends is like huge because like you have Annie who's like yeah I just told that dude you like him so he's gonna be calling mm-hmm. and then later on. Um, Linda is getting strangled on the phone with her. And I guess she's fucked with Lori so many times in the past that Lori is very casually like, are you joking again? Like, like this isn't that. He's got some shit friends. I like how they actually set that up with an earlier phone call with, I think, Annie. I think friends are so generic. I'm losing track of their names. Annie's the one with the butter on the show. Okay. But uh, (laughs) there's a phone call earlier, which we almost, it seems like it's going to be a setup for the silent call with the killer. He's in the house kind of moment. Um, Because nobody answers and Chang's up. And then she pulls it up again, and it's Annie. Oh yeah, that was totally me. I was just fucking with you. I was eating food. Sure, it it. I think it sets up well that yeah, her friends regularly mess with her on calls. Also, phone use was weird. Like that's not quite how phones work. And I get that. Like when you 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 put down a phone, presumably on hold, and then the other one rings, and and like just every so often that like took me out of it. But I don't know. I didn't I didn't notice anything about different about the phones. Um, so. What I was suspicious, what jumped out at me, and I, and I don't know this, right? I didn't pay a phone bill in 1978, but sure. There was a were... little bit of continuity concerns like, at a certain point of just, yeah. what was that? Spencer. Yeah, I don't know. Spencer's having some uh, technical issues. Go yeah, ahead, Levi. I'm back. Um, but yeah, in terms of the phone phone usage, didn't you get a bill by by every call you made? Even, even, even local calls? Like So they're just gabbing it up here, char- you know, charging 10 cents for for a phone call which i assume the the parents are okay with but this seems like a lot of casualness to just well if i remember correctly the local calls were free but you did get a record of them i, I don't know either way they they are they they, they obviously the, the phone is a is a tool for them as they go well, through the night one thing i like is that i had a little bit of continuity issues about there's a scene of when uh linda and bob are fucking in totally somebody Whoa. else's house and totally somebody else's bed um and he takes the phone off the hook and we never see him return at the hook, but downstairs she call she calls her friend later, and that's when she gets strangled or whatever else. Yeah. yeah, I mean there are a couple of those like weird things that I don't know why like I picked up on those, but just sort of it's one of those things. It's because the, you're not enjoying the movie, DJ. One thing that I like about the lore of Michael Myers going after these teenage girls never goes after the young kids. No, never touch the young kids. Yeah, and that you, actually, if you and I don't know if you guys have spent a lot of Friday nights watching the, the Halloween sequels like I have, but uh, um, that's kind of a motif for Michael Myers. Never goes after young children. What, uh, and there's young children everywhere in these movies. Also, uh, going after the dudes seems like a either afterthought or a complication that like just happened to be there. They're, they're not the target. Right. They're, they're they're not the issue. And I like how they set that up too about what his particular focus is of him stealing the headstone and using it later that all of these girls are in the form of his sister his first kill and all of them are fitting that kind of same story and so one it when is very much arrayed on the bed with the headstone over it he's completing a cycle he's completing something that's essential to him in terms of killing these girls to fall into the same role as his first victim the guys are one 
then the killing the first guy that he kills is just a dude who drives a hard a hardware truck and he steals his, his coveralls it's very just functional he throws his body into a bush yeah he can't be wearing the the hospital gown around yeah no 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 the second guy it is he, cold in central though no you don't want to be hanging about the, the killing of bob though i actually kind of appreciate it for me it's one of the more iconic actual kills of the film of when you know he embeds him up against the wall with the strongest damn knife ever known to man <laughs> yeah. um how many but, times do we see that in horror movies after the yeah, yeah it's incredibly iconic but one of the things i like is that most of the time when it's done he's just on the wall and then the body's the key thing here the main thing that the scene focuses on afterwards is his curiosity at looking at the body it's almost like i think i think i think i was reading this in the notes carpentry even described it as uh when he was telling him what how i want you to act look at it as if it is a butterfly in your collection is that you've just embedded him on the wall admire the beauty of your work it is the creepy head angle cock. the creepy little head cock he stares at him he savors it for a little bit and i appreciated that but it's still just incidental that's just a kill as a means to an end the girls are the ones he wants yeah and so eventually you know through this sort of like um you know panic and not knowing what to do jamie Lee curtis stumbles upon a room we kind of touched, touched on this before but there she sees the three dead people right what? she sees uh bob annie and linda um, all in sequence, and that's the haunted house scene that you're talking about. Yeah. It, it, it very much is. Each of the bodies is falling out. It's one scare after the next. It's it. This is Carpenter channeling, you know, his own childhood of just things that were scary: the haunted house, the urban legends, the little phone call pranks. These are hitting boomer notes, kind of thing. The boogeyman. That yeah. like that yeah. was sort of one of the weird scenes in the beginning, where just like the bullies, like of the kid that Laurie's going to end up babysitting, and then like trying to scare him with the boogeyman and just knocking him over and squishing a pumpkin impressively easily. Um, yeah. And one other thing I wanted to point out is that um, they, they do with Michael Myers is he doesn't run. Right. And we see this a lot in, in, in horror movie villains uh, going forward, always working at his own pace. Uh, doesn't, doesn't break a sweat. So that's stately pace. And, and that's, you know, like, I don't, I don't know if John Carpenter did that on purpose, but it is immensely creepy. Yeah, I'm willing to believe that he did. Uh, I also, again, just, as he's you know like work, working around this one house across the street from Laurie, who spends most of the film just looking through the house and seeing details, seeing Mike Myers just in perfectly framed with the light, but utterly pitch black, just staring silently at her house or walking around it. Or at the or this moment here, the only I think is the little boy's name Billy, because of course it is or something like yeah, that. Yeah, Billy. Yeah, it's Billy. of course it is. <laughs> I don't. I didn't even remember that, but it's totally, it's to, it's totally Billy. Um, when, he, when he looks out, and or I think either here looks at, looks out, my virus is just carrying the corpse in the front door. This man is utterly unconcerned by his world. It moves at his pace, and he's you know vindicated by it. But nobody in this neighborhood gives a shit. Yeah, and then Michael Myers goes after Jamie Lee Curtis, cuts her arm. Um, he falls over the railing um, at one point. Um, then, it, but then, then we have the sort of culmination scene of this like cat and mouse, where this like the, the A plot and the B plot, as Spencer described it before, converge, mm. and the psychiatrist finds them. Now, this is another little key detail I wanted to ask you guys about: Did the psychiatrist just have a gun on him? Yep, he just carry, mm-hmm. so this guy just carries a gun around. Yeah, he, but he has a permit for it, so so it's okay. Well, I mean, sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, I'm not trying to throw the guy in jail. I'm Thank saying, God he did. Kind of strange, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was going to call back Terry. I guess you don't remember the scene, but they, they, they were in um, the, the Myers' house. 
um and oh, yeah, the gutter yeah, yeah. fell through the window and, he, and and the cop pulled out the gun and said don't worry i've got a permit for this yeah, yeah, yeah. pulled out a piece of paper didn't show it to the cop and put it right into his pocket and the cop was like i i, I did, I, I, I did I, my I job know. there um i was gonna say like the the fight scene basically between jamie carter but like uh laurie was had with mike myers like pulling the the knitting needles and stuff like that that was i think some of the better like frightened interactions that you had like that you know i felt in the movie where she like was legitimately scared trying to get away from him groping for something finding something feeling this sort of sense of relief that like okay it's done now and that progresses and it's not like a couple of times i would like to point out that i i think that the movie gets a lot of credit within the horror movie community of being somewhat progressive in that previously um women either were murdered or saved and Jamie Lee Curtis actually fights back and, mm-hmm. and, and is somewhat successful in fighting Michael Myers back, um, which I think is a sort of progress in the horror it, movie industry. It, it didn't invent the final girl, um, but it did make the final girl much more active in just terms of at times kicking the villain's ass where right. needed. Where yeah. they, I mean, um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre came out, like I think it was four years earlier, and there's a final girl, but she mostly just is able to successfully get away where most of her friends didn't. Right. Meanwhile, Laurie Stroud, I think her name is the character, she stabs him with a knitting needle. She jams a clothes hanger into his eye very intentionally. She crafts that thing really quickly. MacGyver's it. She he pales it with his at own one point. knife. They, they do an arm wrestle at one point. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and she's somewhat moderately successful at that. So, yeah, it's kind of like, uh, I'm trying to think like. I mean, it's carrying all those movies. sex books. Like, you know, get this. Yeah. The chemistry book curls. But it, I'm trying to think of like a 1978 audience. It probably shocked them that the, like the protagonist, young girl, who's like in imminent danger of being chased by the serial killer actually punches the guy back. Like that had to be probably pretty surprising to the audience. One thing I like too, is that she also never loses track of her job when she's doing this, that she is consciously, constantly aware of where those kids are and yeah. is ensuring that they're protected. Earned yes. money that night. Earned her like, money. Oh, God. Five dollars for the evening. Uh, she, she, she needs to be paid double. She's watching two kids by the end of that. She didn't sign on for both. Levi, I feel like you want to jump in there. Yeah, I was. So I wonder if the basically, Terry, you raised a good, very good point there about the, the oddness of a, a woman um, being a, a, a protagonist there. I wonder if that was like a, a big twist, right? A sort of like usual suspects level twist of, huh, didn't see that coming. I thought yeah. just for sure, uh, because it, it, it's a very, very good point because I, I, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis is a powerful woman in, in, in sort of acting. She has this aura. I don't, that didn't surprise me in the least. And I, I sort of knew that she vaguely, that she was like alive in the series. Um, but I wonder what would happen if I did not know that because it, it rarely happens that, that the woman is the actual um person who, person who could who could defeat the villain or at least uh stay and i wonder death. if that set up like her later career because this is like super early in her career like this at, is you like know, her first film kind right. of right oh she it's certainly like, plays on that later yeah for sure being cast as the strong able-bodied you know resourceful what? one thing i like too uh is that they don't overplay it she doesn't like you know get like aggressive bloodlust and go after him she isn't like yeah, the 2019 version else. the 2019 <laughs> version she does she's almost the killer she <laughs> should put the mask on in the 2019 version and, and i think that reflects different values different eras but i actually appreciate this much more she's scared out of her damn mind she's yeah. a normal person that's overwhelmed by this she's whimpering and begging and sobbing as she's stabbing him but she's still doing it 
for me, that comes across a lot more authentic of where she's utterly unequipped for this situation, but she's finding a reserve and surviving, even if she's going to need massive amounts of therapy to cope with what the hell is happening. So we in the in the plot uh, with the iconic six shots from the from the psychiatrist, uh, bang 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 bang, and um, down goes Michael Myers over the railing of the house onto the yard. He looks down, Mike's down there. Boom! He shot six the times. Starts. He fell two stories. Obviously dead. Um, boom boom. Looks back again. He's gone. And then we have the ending, which I I just absolutely adore this ending, where they do shot after shot of the street all over with Mike's breathing and it, it just me like I feel like even the most passive movie watcher knows what they're doing there which is basically he could be anywhere um every one of these shots he could be in any 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 place at any time and you're hearing that heavy breathing that you started to get consistently more and more through the film and bang we got the ending mm-hmm. I loved the lack of arrogance in that uh that ending right because like an ending nowadays if Michael Myers never existed and, and this was filmed today beyond it having you know more gore more this more that um it would end with mike myers breathing over the, the globe right like it, it would pan out to the, the, the global <laughs> scale um the great wall of china is still the breathing i'm just saying um that like but it's Space station it, flies by you hear it but that's the nice part about the sort of 80s and sort of classic horror, horror movies at least of our generation right the sort of 80 80s uh, they're very localized they're very localized they're very 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 low um stakes in a sense right this is not an evil villain that's going to take over that's going to kill the world this is not a world in there this is a part of new jersey sucks now um and uh <laughs> it's great this one, it sucks yeah this one so, town in illinois is not a place you want to live um other than that you're good right and as long as you're not a babysitter like you're probably fine you can just like shut your door and close your blinds yeah, like, whatever. Going after the parents no. <laughs> and it's much more grounded for the characters too it's their own experiences because the places we hit are places that she previously had fought him previously had been it's going back through the prior efforts of their battles kind of thing of where he could have been any of the places we've been before he could be any of my world not necessarily anybody else's world it's the own personal horror of the characters and what they survived yeah yeah, absolutely. So that kind of wraps up the plot. So now I want to just um, throw it to you guys for for general thoughts um, and really through the lens of like what worked, didn't work, and then overall impressions, because we obviously build in these episodes toward a final grading. Um, let's go ahead, Spencer. One thing I want Spencer to just about. wants to say how much he enjoyed the uh, killing of the dog, um, just like as a through line of what? like all things that he hates about pets. This is one of the things I love about psychology is that Carpenter said he purposely had him kill the dog so everybody would know he was evil. Oh, yeah, for sure. Killing all the people, you know, he might have his reasons. Teens suck, but the dog got to frame that one early. Well, I also like that in basically every movie ever, the dog is smarter than all the people, right? Like the dog always, the the dog always can tell everything from like, like the movie, The Perfect Storm, where it's literally about a hurricane to like serial killers. The dog can always sense danger before any human on the screen. What? And also really funny, the dog was hilariously not aggressive. And Annie, yeah, I think a it German was... Shepherd. You, you would think yeah. he'd get one bite in. Well, well you just talked about the scene with Annie earlier. When yeah, with, with Annie. Her. And he's just like barking next to her, looking out the window. And it's just like, come get your dog. It's being aggressive. To, like, it, you know, it's barking at me and it, it's going to bite me or something. And just like... <laughs> no it's just next to you like what are you well we established that Annie's an idiot i mean she is what? pretty pretty i dumb. mean she doesn't Do- you know read chemistry books so you know what? we know for me the definition of Annie being the idiot the dog freaks the hell out just even the vague sense that mike myers is near quickly freaks out when it sees him annie straight up sees this guy at her window and goes 
oh bob or somewhere oh paul and just who assumes for a given moment that visage is somebody you know <laughs> that's a guy that's not going to cause you harm levi but, you threw something in the chat that we need to talk about <laughs> uh yeah so as you guys are talking about the dog dying um i i recall this this website that i came across i think um actually my boss at work for some reason put it in one of our work chats um and it's a website called does the dog die.com um <laughs> and it uh i don't know the history of the site i just remember that it existed so um but it definitely involves uh you know plot summaries overlaid with warnings of type types of behavior but the central focus is whether or not the dog dies in film but this is great so that you the can stay top away from nine, the top nine categories that it tells you about are parents dying dragons dying cannibalism eating disorders and words, shaky cam, car crashes, hospital scenes, and miscarriages. It, it, it's a very interesting, like, top nine list that they have there. Well, um, I actually, like, kind of like, I don't know. Like, I don't want to get, like, too serious. I actually kind of like it because there are some, like, if you've been, like, traumatized in some ways, like, maybe you do need, like, something to tell you, like, stay away from certain movies. And 100%. the shaky cam, shout out to, for me, like, I mean, <laughs> the shaky cam, I, I have gotten so sick watching the damn born movies and their shaky cam. I'm glad that there's something out here to, to, to warn me against the shaky cam. Yeah. It does give you motion. No, but I feel like eating disorders, parents dying, like, okay, but cannibalism and dragons dying seems like a weird thing to also put in there. You're 100% um, also, right. Dragons dying. One of these things is not like the other. Right. <laughs> um, and, and so Levi, I feel like, you know, how many of these does Ravenous tick off of the, like, the 90 <laughs> things <laughs> that they track? I don't think a dog died. A dog, dog does uh, not die. Horse Ravenous. dies. Horse a lot dies. of horses die. Yep. Um, but no, no, I, I, I thought this was perfectly appropriate. And I mean, it obviously was probably created by someone who watched um, John Wick. Um, that, mm. probably, pro- that probably was the originating event. But I'd like to think it was Halloween. Because you do call it the fact that the dog just dies and just limps there. Or um, lifeless life is there. Spencer gets not, happy with that, I I know, but it's it's still sad. It very much. Uh, uh, I am legend. People were really offended by I am legend. Because uh, have you not seen it, Spencer? The, not, the new one. No, okay. no, I've seen it. I was like, I thought that was the most effective scenes in the film. Uh, yeah, I mean, I know you like killing dogs, but but a lot of people I were like just when it's really done a- well. <laughs> Is there any dog death that you don't do you consider not done well? No, all done well in Spencer's book. One last <laughs> they're, all, they're, all, they're all good boys. <laughs> if I see people crying next to me, it was a successful scene. Um, okay, so back to, to Halloween. Um, Spencer, any like when you're you're talking about like trying to grade this film, what are your thoughts and anticipation of a what, grade? Well, one a couple of things I want to discuss about where things went wrong with the last two we watched mm-hmm. uh, and why this one may be doing better. I'm curious whether you guys agree. Uh, for me, one of the things that made Friday the 13th particularly unbearable was the acting was dog shit. It was horrible. The acting was very amateur film. How'd you all feel? We have a very limited cast Casey's here. Mom was okay. How'd you feel about the acting by comparison in this film? Um, so first off, Jason's mom did an okay job. She was actually one of those old Hollywood names who knew, knew what she was doing. Um, she just came from a different era. So everything was overacted, right? She was in that sort of like, um, theater school. Yeah, exactly. Everything was, was very flamboyant, but uh, for, for what she was trying to do, I thought she did a good job, but back to Halloween, I thought the acting. So it's interesting, right? Because they don't give the actors a lot, like it doesn't, re- the way they wrote the movie and the way they shot it, it doesn't rely on acting. 
because mm-hmm. you have all right. of these like cinematic things, all of these elements of filmmaking that are happening that create the tension that scare you that don't rely on the acting. Nonetheless, still thought Jamie Lee Curtis did a bang up job. So shout out to her. I thought it was really solid. I, I, I thought all of the characters were believable. I just were, wasn't interested in their lives. Um, so like, I think as, as actors, I think they did a good job. They were relatively believable teenagers doing teenager things. Like, uh, I mean, I think the only one that, that seemed a little hammed up and goofy was all the, you know, the police parent dude and, and like how he did that, but like, whatever, it's fine. It's a small town. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think that the acting was, you know, they're getting teenagers to play teenagers, basically, and, and they did fine. Hey, what would you think? Uh, it wasn't great. Um, I mean, it's better than than Friday the 13th, but it, but it wasn't great. But I mean, to your point, Terry, that the the dialogue is is background music to the cult or, or to the environment that's being created by this. Um, right. Like it, it's but a small portion. It's not driving the primary plot in, in certain areas. It's all about the juxtaposition of where where's Mike Myers? Where is he going? Um, how safe are you? Um, that's that's the ambiance that's, that's being 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 presented there. So it doesn't matter. Um, but it's yeah. a little bit better. But it doesn't matter. It's that's that's the brilliance of it, right? Like getting that's, six seventy year olds to be be great actors is not going to work out. So do yeah, something it's, else. It's for Basically, sure. It's I asking the majority. Go ahead. Sorry, you go ahead. You go ahead. It's asking the majority of its teens to just be teens. It's like, hey, you know, you used to babysit, just babysit for a bit. Hey, you know, you used to call your friends on the phone, just be that. And so it feels authentic. It's just they're not doing much with it. The only person that's really called, the only people that are called upon to act are Donald Pleasance as Dr. Loomis. They even give him extended monologues. I think he does well with that. He's a good actor. And I think it's it's good dialogue just to build tension about just how fearful he is of this guy. And then Mike Myers himself, who mostly just is present. He, he just looms. And apparently majority, like there's several different actors that play them, but one of the actors even said, well, what kind of stage directions or what, what did he tell you to feel when you're playing the role? And he said, he just told me to go from point A to point B. Be there, like, be visible. I feel like we're comparing it a lot to the Friday the 13th movie. I think the better contrast is Child's Play 1, right? Because so much of Child's Play 1 relies on over-the-top acting and trying to sell this character as a... Um, mental patient and a lot or, or uh, not, not, not mental patient. That's this movie. Um, more is like this, like criminal uh, serial killer. Yeah, it, it, with this like defined personality, and you get a lot of dialogue from the killer, and that helps build that character. Obviously, you get no dialogue from Michael Myers, but I think that the movie doesn't rely on dialogue as much. So the contrast is very apparent with those two films. I think that was another point of contrast I want to draw. Was just I, you, I, in my mind. Mike Myers and Chucky could not be more different in terms uh-huh. of what villain you want to do. And for me, the more Chucky became foremost, the more, I, I think we even talked about that one. The moment that they do the battery scene, suddenly Chucky just yell, yells out, I'm going to kill you, you fucking bitch. The movie went straight downhill for me. Yeah. Because Chucky suddenly became just the weird zany puppety focus. Mm-hmm. The ludicrousness of the script became a lot harder to ignore. Mike Myers never has that moment. The closest we ever get to them is that we briefly see him unmasked at the end and he's just kind of a dude that puts his mask back on before he gets shot. For me, the much more conservative approach, the much more silent, just his, the, the sounds that he makes rather than any actual characterization was more effective for Mike Myers because he's kind of like meant to be just an embodiment of evil and evil never dies. Yeah, and I, I, I will say to your point with Child's Play, uh, that turning point, almost went the other way for this movie where it's just like, it's the culmination of all that tension building and they, it went well. 
Mm-hmm. Like, it, you know, it progressed the movie. It's, it's, you actually got uh, a payoff to the buildup. So I'm going to, I agree with everything Spencer said in that last comment about the, the difference between the two. I do. I absolutely agree. And I think we all kind of do on this, but I do want to point out that there are some audiences that find that sort of like, like guy in the background doesn't speak walks very, very boring. And they do like the character, the, the psycho killer who actually you learn about who talks and, and, and stuff. So there, I think there, there is a, an audience for something different than what's happening in this film. I just happen to like what's happening in this film more. And I think we all do on this call. No, I fully agree. And I think Chucky and even more particularly Freddy Krueger are in specific response to how popular this became and how much this dominated the slasher market for a period of where this this, this silent foreboding, never speaks, killer just communicates by actions. It became so tropified. We got the witty banter, zany kind of killer is much more the focus because of how Either that was overused or they're trying to tap into a different market just because of that was dominating it so much. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, uh, BJ, any any concluding thoughts on like what worked, what didn't work in the lead up to a um, to a grade from you? Um, I mean, like, I think I've already covered like a lot of the things that sort of didn't work and worked for me. Um, okay. I, I think that just a lot of the, I wasn't as engaged um, as uh, as I might've otherwise been. Um, but I don't know. I mean, some of that's me and, and the genre and, and some of that is, you know, 17 year olds chatting about, you know, what they're doing while babysitting, like to, like it, it needs to be there, but it's also not that interesting. Um, and I think that Spencer, you know, as you said, like the, the cinematography, you know, the score are, are good. Um, and, and so, you know, I don't know if I'm leading off the, the the grading but but this gets a solid pass for me um somewhere in the like cc plus range uh maybe even b minus okay all right bj is the first one to throw it out there uh c plus or b minus um levi your thoughts and then maybe a grade overall really really liked it um it reminded me of how much i like john carpenter um many of his other other movies i really really like uh i know you guys i, I think i may have forced you guys at some point to watch uh, ghosts of mars um the, the one of his the later I, ones yes the ice cube and jason statham uh it's fun yeah i it's swear to god it's, it's a great it's a great movie man yeah. no it's fun there's a it's difference a, it's a great movie uh yeah chrome guns man sh- i'm willing to go no down more. like certain weird paths with you like with with uh ravenous but mm, what Le- i Levi, enjoyed did, that film this is great to ask we, we, particularly with horror you've not seen many horror films with john carpenter is famous for do you have a favorite John Carpenter movie or did you before you watch this one? Uh, his movies that I watched before. So Ghost of Mars. I've, I've watched uh, Big Trouble in Little China, Escape from New York uh, and Assault in Pre- Precinct 13. I really like Assault, Assault, from Assault in Precinct 13. I, th- I thought it was, it, it's just a great movie. It's like a weird little premise. Um, the remake was surprisingly good, um, even though it's less believable. Right. It the, the isolation that John Carpenter puts into his movies is something that, that yeah, you have to go to mars to find in in 2000 um whereas in the 70s you could just say yeah the power's out and no one's around and you're a nice you part of town phones, yeah. and and no one has cell phones and so there's no one you're just yep. by yourself um but no I, I like his movies um i know he has a lot of others i just have not Wait, well, i mean if you want a horror film which is in some way both similar and night and day different this one we're gonna have to show you the thing at some point yeah. i've heard of the thing um they live i also watched that 
Um, uh, that, that's wonderful satire on the, on the, on the Reagan years. I was just going to say, man, I mean, like John Carpenter, he's like the most woke director in the world, right? We have women empowerment in Halloween. We have cri- not all criminals are bad people in Assault from Precinct 13. Uh, we have indigenous rights in Ghost of Mars. Uh, we have no consumerism in They Live. Like he's a woke director. You guys need to need to respect that a little bit. Mm, that's a great point. Um, but overall, I, I really liked the movie. Um, I thought it was, thought it was really fun, really suspenseful, the type of, of, of horror that I prefer. Um, the sort of gory slasher stuff, eh, it's fine. It just doesn't move the needle for me. It's it's not not fun. Um, so my overall grade, Terry, uh, A minus. A minus. All right. A minus. A, I'm not going to screw this up this time. Last time I, I screwed up your grade. Uh, so A minus from Levi, B plus slash C minus from BJ on to Spencer for a grade. I was legitimately impressed by how well this holds up just as a quality work of filmmaking. It's not as scary as, in my mind as people used to find it. It's very effectively tense. It's very well crafted in terms of building and maintaining that kind of distension and just omnipresent sense of foreboding that goes into it. Uh, it's very surprisingly conservative when it comes to a lot of its violence or even just its setup for its characters. It's very content to be slow and very content to just let the scene kind of build itself rather than have a lot of various events happen. And I appreciate that just because of how kind of it comes across. And nowadays it almost comes across as a weird art film rather than it feels like a mainline production, just in terms of how different it is from a lot of things we see today and how content it is to be a very much auteur work. So I'm legitimately appreciative of it i'm going to give it a bb plus kind of range just in terms of this held up a lot better than i thought i can really understand how influential this was in the entire genre and this fits in very well with my appreciation of john carpenter and his works okay um all right and to me um i mean i i think when i'm hearing people critique a horror movie especially one that's 30 40 years old or 50 almost in this case um and they say if it's scary or not, I, I, I tend to just toss that. Um, that usually is more of a um, representation of that person than the film. I mean, I, I think it's hard. I think it's crazy to say this is not a scary movie. It may not scare you, but like all objective evidence points to the fact that this scared the shit out of a massive amount of people. And it was extremely effective in doing so. Um, I think it's like if I taught a class in film, if I was like going to teach like somebody who doesn't know anything about movies, this would be in the top maybe seven or eight that I would show them um, because of all of the stuff that it does to usher in a new um, era of horror movies and how people make those films and how they make characters scary and how they craft villains and how they do scores to this type of movie. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I'm hard pressed not to give it like an A or an A plus. I mean, I think it's one of the most effective horror movies that's ever been made. Would you agree there's a bit of a different generational response when it comes to horror, just in terms of what people found scary once versus what people found scary today? hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Pe- people it's may be getting old, that way. People may be a little bit just overexposed and jaded today compared to maybe what they were a few decades in the past. hundred percent. Yeah, that's a, that's absolutely what I was driving at. Well said, because I, and that's why I kind of toss it. I'm like, I, you that's know, fair. I, with all the crap you can look at on the internet today, there, there's a lot, a lot of people who are going to say that no movie ever is ever scary. And then you also have people who just like, don't get scared of movies. So I, I, if people find it personally scary or not, ah, that, that, that gets thrown out for me. This is obviously a scary movie. It's like saying Exorcist isn't scary. It's like, well, maybe it doesn't scare you, but Exorcist is obviously a scary movie. This is in that same realm. That's part of the reason I really appreciate old horror films. It's, it's, they don't fit the hallmarks of what is scary today, but they're well-crafted thrillers. And that in many ways I appreciate more as just an enjoyable film to watch than I would just a film that might be scary today. 
Yeah, I, I agree. But, uh, you know, going back to kind of my overall thoughts of the film, like, I, I mean, I understand why. And we put it like, okay, let's watch these sort of like 70s, 80s horror movies that create genres, tons of sequels. You can buy the action figure, like the whole thing, right? Halloween fits in that. But in a way, it doesn't. Like, this is a real film. <laughs> it's really, yeah. really well done. Yeah. It does a lot of inventive things. And so you even lump it in with how, like, Friday the 13th and Child's Play is sort of, like, laughable. Um, but, I mean, if I'm given Friday the 13th a B plus, like, obviously, I have to give this an A+. Plus, but I'd give a lot of movies A+. Plus. Like, I, I, that's just kind of how I think about it. I appreciate that. Um, okay, any uh, concluding thoughts here on Halloween before we wrap up? Uh, do we have any thoughts for the next one? That, yeah, let's tease. let's toss that around. What what uh what should we do in this? Do we want to do Freddy Krueger? I was gonna say Spencer tends to toss out Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I, but okay. I think I, I think we have to do Nightmare on Elm Street first though, because Texas Chainsaw Massacre didn't really create a franchise. Nightmare on Elm Street is the other rival. This that that's the other one of where he's the iconic slasher that created way too many damn sequels. So. I, I think so, we kind of have to do that one. I got a question for you. No, go ahead, Levi, and then I'll ask you. Spencer, yes, we will do Nightmare on Elm Street. You're you're not going to like it. I I, I know I it's about it. you. I have seen it. I know it well. Yes, but but you don't like the movie. Right? No, I actually appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate <laughs> it. That sounds like you don't like it. Um, but we'll you palette wait till we, re- we talk about it. Yeah, he's going to trash it for an hour and a half. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but then we'll palate cleanse with um, uh, something a bit, bit more palatable. Um, I, I only have one request in this horror movie jag that we're going on and that is that we eventually do uh the exorcist uh, okay. I just want oh yeah. yeah sure i don't i don't think i've watched that so so sure um i feel it, like it, we it, also need to do saw at some point just because like, we're talking about franchises Let, let's kind of yeah move it we'll do yeah. we'll do saw at some point well, but i agree we need it, to get it, to that eventually it's fun the exorcist does qualify for what we're setting because it did create a franchise it did create a whole mess of inferior sequels <laughs> They suck, but yeah, we got to watch that. And also, I'm not to spoil things. I legitimately like the original Nightmare on Elm Street. I think it's a well done film. So okay, I'm not right. actually going to poop to as much as I don't like find Freddy Krueger at all was interesting. The film itself is still well done, and I legitimately mean that. So this is my final question for you guys: When y'all were growing up and the, all these films were in the zeitgeist, did it, am I the only one that that never referred to these by their proper titles? Who said, "Hey guys, did you watch Freddy Krueger? Hey guys, did you watch Michael Myers?" Like that's how I talked about these films oh, yeah. until I was like 25. Uh, Lee, you've known me for a few years. No, I was the kid that would correct people on what the names were. Probably <laughs> well, yeah. Like, yeah, you fucking nerd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We are doing it. All right. Nightmare on Elm Street will be the next movie we watch here on Mangum Watches. We appreciate you joining us. It's been a lot of fun. Halloween, man. What an iconic film to talk about with you guys. Uh, thanks so much for doing it. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. We'll be back next time with Nightmare on Elm Street. See you.